Welcome back to Ryan and Brian's Bible Bistro. I'm the Ryan half. And I'm the Brian half. And, and this together is the, we make a whole bistro. A whole, a whole, <laughs> whole some, Bible bistro. A whole Bible bistro. You're the back. old covenant and I'm the new covenant. So. I don't, <laughs> I think you're the you're, old one. No, no, no. You're about, you're about two thirds and I'm a third. Well, that's the way we should of start. What? Of what? Of what? Of the covenant? Thinking, is, is this size a size wise. thing? <laughs> This is, this is not starting well. Well, I can't help it that I'm a bigger You're person. You're a big man. You're just a big man. You know what I reference when I think of my size in general? Do you ever see the movie Twins with Arnold Schwarzenegger and Danny yes. DeVito? Yes. Well, and actually, the, I haven't ever seen the movie, but I know. I, I, what? <laughs> this is one of those movies that you think I should have seen that I've never seen. I understand the concept. I've, I've seen well, enough of anyway. the trailer. I think the trailer told me that. No, it's a fantastic movie. You have to see it. But in the beginning, Danny DeVito is getting a parking ticket because he parked in a handicapped parking spot. Right. And he comes out and they're like, we don't have a parking sticker. And he goes, do I look normal to you? (laughs) And so I've thought... Maybe on I the other use, hand, right? on the other hand, um, maybe that's me. Um, so anyway, anyway yes, okay. that well. is that's that's what's happening. <laughs> Thank you for making a large joke. <laughs> really appreciate Just, it. We'll have to a good start. Anyway, well, we're back to I the bistro. This is our third episode in season four, season four of the Bible Bistro. So we had a little bit of like uh, cultural age stuff a couple yeah. episodes ago, yeah. and then we started we the barn burning. <laughs> series in leviticus leviticus are, are burning. we trying are we trying Bull to burning series of leviticus are we trying to turn away listeners i this? think so this is this is for the hardcore folk this is like i'm doing no, this stick with us it was i mean last i think last time was fun it was it was enjoyable to talk about sacrifice and we're gonna do that some more today so yeah well yeah so we're we're continuing uh leviticus one through seven's a little yeah. it's kind of sets up some of the sacrificial yep. stuff so what what are we looking at today then brian well so last week i kind of walked through the steps of sacrifice you might remember and we talked about uh kind of the way that it was done and some you know there's some misconceptions or misunderstandings people have about this and I mentioned there's going to be these repetitions. So we're going to talk really today about the other sacrifices or the other offerings that are called for and, and the reason for them and what they symbolize and so forth. And I think things that we can learn from this. So basically what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to kind of um, show us that I think the book of Leviticus, as I mentioned last week, can teach us things about who God is and what he's concerned about. And so that's that's, that's kind of what we're going to go on I don't know. Today. Something just happened. It's uh, Pulsar guys. Some, I was going to say something fell and it almost unplugged my lamp. So, uh, well, sorry. anyway, <laughs> watch that on YouTube, everyone. Yeah. So, <laughs> I, I was reading a little bit this week about Leviticus, and and correct me if I'm wrong. Like, this is kind of the. I mean, I think we talked about this a little bit. The pinnacle, in some ways, maybe of the Pentateuch. Like, this is the it's longest book. Shortest, yeah, Short. the shortest book. It's but it's right shortest in the center. Bu- yeah, okay. it's the shortest book, and it's it's right in the center though of the of the rest of them. So it kind of fits in this. Yeah, it has it has a play, important place. I think. Yeah, I just gave myself a thumbs down on the screen again. Did you see that? <laughs> no, I didn't yes. see it. I don't know what's happening. Well, anyway, no. so all right, so but that that Leviticus is kind of it. it the, the Pentateuch maybe. Again, correct me if I'm wrong or what this author said was wrong. <laughs> it's kind of pushing us towards to look at this as kind of this is the important stuff about becoming God's holy people. In yeah, some way. I think so. I think it has to do with what's going to, as I mentioned last week, it's kind of you're coming out of um, a religious system of a po- polytheistic 
people. You're going to another polytheistic people, and and I want you to understand that you are not to continue in their practices, and you're not to participate in worship in the same way that they do. Uh, you know, a set apart holy holiness. We talk about often the word set apart might be a way to mm-hmm. think about it. So you're going to be the set apart people. They're going to be different. You're going to be distinct from these uh, nations around you. I think is what's going on. Yeah, I think that's okay. absolutely right. All right. Well, let's talk more about some sacrifices or <laughs> okay. offerings of sorts. So do you, do you remember what offering we talked about last week? Do you remember what we kind of broke down in Leviticus uh, chapter 1? It was uh, atonement, burn, burn, burn offering. offering. The burn yeah. offering. And it was one that the entire animal was consumed. One thing I mentioned just briefly, and I'll, I'll say this again because it come, it, it, this next sacrifice we're going to talk about, it kind of brings it up. This is the the burnt offering is the one sacrifice that that has to have an animal involved. Uh, there has to be the shedding of blood in this particular sacrifice. The others we're going to see that there are some uh, other ways that you can sacrifice, and we'll talk about the reasons for that. But it, it is one that the entire animal is consumed. It's the only one that is in which that takes place. I mentioned last week there are prescribed times of the year that the priests were supposed to sacrifice, and even the, the day, certain times the priests were supposed to offer these sacrifices um, to God in a regular kind of schedule. So that was the burnt offering. Now, the reason it, it really lays out those steps of what the worshiper is supposed to do and what the priest is supposed to do and all those kind of things, now we're going to get into this the different other kinds of offerings that, 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 that there are. And basically there are four others that we're going to talk about here. The okay. second one is the grain offering. And this is basically the whole chapter. Leviticus chapter two talks about the grain offering and, and or sometimes it's called the meal offering. I don't like that. It, it, it's the old use of the word meal. Like if you think about going to the, to the, the place where they grind your, Week gotcha. into into meal, you know. Mm-hmm. So, but we we use the word meal. Well, never mind. Differently, grain offering. Language is different. <laughs> gotcha. Okay. Grain offering. Yeah. So it's exactly what you think. Now, the interesting thing is, basically, you're supposed to mix this um, wheat with um, uh, this this flour with oil with other other um, flavorings and different things, and this is actually something that's to be provided. For the high priest, in the case of Leviticus, it's always talking about Aaron and his sons, right? Because Mm -hmm. remember, this is taking place during that period of time after the end of the book of Exodus and before we get into the book of Numbers. So, so Aaron is the high priest, and his sons are the priest, and so these this grain offering was bread, and you could either bring it as kind of almost it almost sounds like dough, right? Except one of the big things is no yeast, right? Um, uh, you know, the, it's to be unleavened. There's not to be any yeast. And uh, so it's not going to be rise. It's not going to rise. It's going to be like a flatbread. And and that, of course, in the New Testament, we get, and, and even in the Old Testament, we get this idea of yeast as kind of being the image of sin, right, or uh, uncleanness. Right. And, and so this is supposed to be bread that is unleavened. And, and so... So you're to bring it. There's different ways you can cook it. I always imagine it's kind of funny because they talk about, uh, you know, you can bake it, you can you can put it on a griddle. So I'm like imagining a pancake, something like that, you know. Mm-hmm. But uh, the the priests are to eat this. This is this is part of what provides for them. Now there's a portion of it that's supposed to be burnt on the on the altar, mm-hmm. but the majority of this is actually to help support the priest and their families in their uh, uh, in their duties, basically. 
one other thing that's just mentioned here briefly, and, and I only mention it because it's used in the New Testament. We, we may talk about this later in the book of Leviticus as well. It can be used as a first fruits offering. Have you, have you, have you heard that mm-hmm. term first fruits? Yes. Uh, and that's the idea. When you go out to start um, harvesting your grain, harvesting your, your field, the very first portion of it is a first fruits offering. So that's to be brought to the Lord first. So that's a, that's an example. That's a, a very specific time and a very specific type of a grain offering that you offer. So first fruits. And of course, I mean, what do you think, what, what do you think would be the significance of that? Why, why, what's the significance of first fruits? Uh, I think it's that God has provided this and we're returning, yeah. you know, we realize this is from God and we, we offer it back to him. And, and he gets the very first part first, of it, the, right? The, he gets the, 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 mm-hmm. Yeah, the very first part of it. So before we, you know, eat it ourselves, our portion, before we, yeah. yeah, before we profit off of it, we give him back uh, a portion of it. And, and yeah, exactly. You're, you're exactly right. We're recognizing. I, I have to pray this. You know, we, we're in one of those churches that when when we take up the offering, then I offer an offertory prayer. Um, kind of old school, I know, but uh, uh, you know, I'm often thinking about. And I'm saying to God on behalf of the entire congregation, we recognize that everything that we have comes from you, but we're giving you back this just to recognize, you know, in recognition of that, to symbolize this. Um, so so it's, that's kind of p- part of what we can learn from the grain offering. The, the second one we're going to talk about today, or the third one overall, so we think about burn offering, grain offering, and then we get to the peace offering, or this is sometimes called the fellowship offering. Uh, peace offering or fellowship offering. And what's unique about this one is that certain parts of the animal are offered to God. And, and in fact, we'll look at this in, in just a minute because it's interesting, the parts of the animal that God requires to be given to him. Certain parts of the animal are sacrificed to God. The rest of it is then prepared. The rest of the meat of this offering is prepared to be eaten. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's eaten in kind of a ceremonial meal. Uh, it's to be eaten right there. Uh, together, uh, and and you know, so if you read through Leviticus chapter three, uh, that's where it talks about this. And I'm going to bring in a little bit of Leviticus seven, and I'll say what Leviticus seven is in a bit. But um, this this offering, this fellowship offering, is is a meal offering. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, this is not, and it's a meal that's to be shared. Right? This is not mandatory. Uh, okay. Whereas, whereas the burnt offering was a mandatory offering. Uh, the, the some of the other offerings we're going to talk about a little bit later are are ones that you can choose to to or, or need to be done at certain times. This is one that is that is not mandatory, um, and there are basically three reasons that people would sometimes do this. Uh, sometimes they would do it as a sign of thanksgiving to God, and and if you read through Leviticus chapter seven, then this is chapter seven verses twelve through eighteen. Uh, it talks a little bit more about some of the reasons you might do the peace offering. And so imagine a situation where maybe you've been asking God for something and and it happens, or uh, there's a good thing, maybe a birth in your family, or I don't know, whatever major good event that you that you can imagine. <laughs> uh, you know, we, we double the number of listeners in the Bible Beast or whatever. <laughs> Two. Uh, <laughs> so... So um, we we may have to we'd have to add to our family in order to increase the number. Oh my gosh! Yes. <laughs> anyway, so the uh, so the what the the worshiper might choose to have a Thanksgiving offering, basically to say to God, you know, I thank you for this this 
blessing that has taken place in the life of me and my family. Often the meal would include the family. Uh, and so then there's a certain portion that the priest might get as well. So there, this is this is one reason a peace offering or fellowship offering could be offered uh, without a sign of thanksgiving. It can also be used to emphasize fellowship with others. In other words, it might be in order to strengthen bonds, let's say, between two people or two families, something like that. You might offer a, a, a fellowship offering or peace offering in order to bring uh, people closer together. And then the third reason, it could be the result of a vow. And there's a few stories in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Uh, I'm thinking about this vow that Paul takes in the New Testament, for example. Mm-hmm. And there are times when you got to the end of that vow. Uh, in other words, when when whatever you had vowed comes about, there are times that you might go then to the, to the temple and offer a um, tabernacle, obviously, during this period, but then later in the temple and offer a fellowship offering. Uh, basically, it's kind of a mark, you know, if you will, marks a time when the end of that vow takes place. So that's that's the peace offering. Any questions on the grain or the peace offering or fellowship offering so far? There's some difference about like so the the burnt mm-hmm. offering, everything's consumed yep, in a fire. But but mm-hmm. we have with this one only the fat is Oh yeah, I was gonna read that. Yeah, Why don't you read so, that? So, so. Chapter three, verses nine through eleven. This is the part that God requires in the fellowship offering. Yeah. For the fellowship offering, you were to bring a food offering to the Lord, its fat, the entire fat tail cut off close to the backbone, the internal organs, and all the fat that is connected to them, both kidneys with the fat on them near the loins and the long lobe of the liver, which you will remove with the kidneys. The priest shall burn them on the altar as a food offering presented to the Lord. If your offering is a goat, you're to present it before the Lord. Lay your hand on its head and slaughter it in front of the tent of meeting. Yeah, and Aaron's. I think just through eleven. Yeah. Did yeah. I say through eleven? Okay, I don't know. Yeah, but that's plenty. The the but you get what I'm saying. It's just that portion, and so all the you know, I guess we would call it the roast and the steak part of it. If if it's a if it's a calf, right? Yeah, uh, is uh, is to be prepared as a meal, and it's actually there's this goes more into it in chapter seven. So. I'll go ahead and say this now. I said I was going to say it later, but Leviticus chapter 7 is kind of a hodgepodge of different um, other regulations about these, all of these. <laughs> so, uh-huh. Oh, you know, it's kind of like, well, by the way, this part of it needs to be done as well. Uh, and so, uh, so you have a little bit of an instruction there about when, so it depends on what kind, the, the, it's really chapter 7 verses 12 through 18 where you find these different, like the Thanksgiving offering and that kind of thing. And the different reasons you might bring the fellowship offering determine how long it is until that meat needs to be eaten. <laughs> ah, yes. In some cases, it has to be the same day. day right. In others, it can be two days. And I, I think there's the longest it can be is on the third day. It can be it can be eaten. If I remember correctly, I'll let somebody correct me on that. But but um, that's the that's the fellowship offering there. So. Right, and so, and, and in this one, the worshiper participates, has some of the yes. meal, and also the priest, the priest. gets mm-hmm. gets something to yeah. eat as well. Okay, yeah. and, and and the interesting thing here, and we'll I'll, I'll say more about this a little bit later because I think there's another one that points to this. I think the interesting thing for us about this is it emphasizes that relationships matter to God as well, <laughs> right? And, and mm-hmm. I'm talking about not just our relationship with Him, but also our relationship, relationship. with one another, right? And so. 
you know, I, I think about this. Is, it's not exactly the same, but it'd be a little bit like our fellowship meals that we have often at, at, at church or the love feast that they talk about in the early years of Christianity when when people would gather in their homes and they would share meals together uh, in order to show their connection, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I've talked before about this, that Christianity really was kind of reordering of family, right? Uh, especially in the early years, uh, they, I mean, <laughs> calling someone brother and sister now is almost like kind of a, you know, I mean, it's kind of a passe thing. We don't necessarily do it anymore. And even when we do it, it's kind of like, oh, brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so. Mm-hmm. But but when they said it, they were saying, we are, we're remaking the family. Right. And it goes back even to where Jesus, you know, the, you might remember he was teaching and the, it was a crowd and his mother and brothers couldn't get to him. And they said, hey, Jesus, your mom's here. Uh, I'm paraphrasing a little bit. Uh, and, and he says, "He says these are my mother and, and these are my brothers, right? In, in other words, this is, this is our family. And, and, and so thinking of ourselves in that very close relationship. So <laughs> it's a long way to ra- around to say, basically, I think this shows us, again, when we look at Leviticus, one of the questions I think is important to ask is to say, um, what does this tell us about what God, about who God is, and what He's concerned about? And I think we can see here that He has He has a desire to see His people um, relate properly to one another as well. And, and we'll see that in other ways later as we get through some of the other parts of the Book of Leviticus. Okay, I forgot something I meant to say at the beginning. I should have written this down. Um, this is just a Bible study principle as well, I think. So I mentioned there's lots of repetition here. And what's interesting then in the book of Leviticus, like when you have these sections where there's all this repetition, just a tip is to notice the differences. Hmm. So what, what one of the things we're talking about now is what's the difference between the burnt offering? And by the way, you, you know, you said that's the only one that the whole animal is to be consumed okay? mm-hmm. by the fire. I'm saying you know, it's the whole, right. the whole animal is to be burnt. Um, and so when you look at the differences, when you have some of these very similar passages, when you look at the differences, then ask yourself the question, what do these indicate or what do they show us or what do they teach us? And that's kind of basic. That's basically what I'm doing today is we're looking at those those distinctions. Yeah. Or those well, differences. the fellowship offering has a meal that you can share. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It's part of the fellowship. Yeah. Okay. Other questions on that or comments? No. Okay. No. Then these last two offerings both have to do with the idea of broken relationship with God, and um, and one is the sin offering. That's the next one we're going to talk about. Basically, from chap- the beginning of chapter four down through the middle of chapter five deals with the um, the issue of the sin offering, and and we'll mention oftentimes un- un- unintentional sin. Actually, go ahead and read. Uh, Leviticus chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, and I'll make two different points here. Yeah. should read that first part of this. Say to the Israelites, when anyone sins unintentionally and does what is forbidden in any of the Lord's commands, if the anointed priest sins, bringing guilt on the people, he must bring to the Lord a young bull without defect as a sin offering for the sin he has committed. So this is talking about something that you've done against God, some kind of... Uh, regulation or or law that you've broken against God mm-hmm. and you have to bring this animal. Now it's a little bit funny there when you get to the beginning of this. Um so who's he talk about first? He talks about he talks about the priest. Mm-hmm. And and 
the second point I want to make with this is it depends upon your status in the community, what you are required to bring. And again, this is a this is a required. Uh, both of these last year are going to be required sacrifices in particular situations. Uh, so, essentially, the higher the status and the more uh, wealth, presumably, that this person has available to them the the larger sacrifice is going to be required. We talked about that a little bit last week with the burnt offering. Same with the sin offering and trespass offering. But we are going to see a little bit of a difference here that's that I think is very interesting. Uh, look at uh, the second one we find mentioned. Actually, it's not the second one. There's a, so it's mentions the priest, mentions the leader of the people. But look at Leviticus chapter four verses thirteen through fifteen. Read that for me and t- t- tell me who that ta- is talking about. If the whole Israelite community sins unintentionally right. and does what is forbidden any of the Lord's commands, even though the community is unaware of the matter, when they realize their guilt and the sin they committed becomes known, the assembly must bring a young bull as a sin offering and present it before the tent of meeting. And then it says, it goes on, it says, the elders of the people lay their hands on the on the bull. So the representatives, kind of the leaders of the people, you might think, they're the ones who... who um, stand in, if you will, on behalf of the whole community. So here we're talking about a community sin, which is an interesting uh, mm-hmm. idea that, that that they've done something wrong. Somehow they have failed. Can, can you think of any stories in the Old Testament that would point to to something like that happening? Can you can you think of? Uh, well, I mean, like when the whole what all the people sinned. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I mean, this is prior to Leviticus, but you have the bull, you know, the apis sure. bull. Yeah, yeah. The, You're talking about it when he was on, on, when Moses was on Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so you have instances like that. We, you have instances where, I don't know. Would you consider it like a people when they split, when they, when the kingdom splits? I don't know. could be. The, the ones, kind of the ones I was thinking about, a couple of them, one of them is really interesting is, uh, a couple of times, People lose the the Bible. <laughs> I don't know if you remember mm, these. Yes, yes. And, and and like there's one where they're remodeling the temple. So, I'm trying to remember who's the king now. I think is it Josiah. It's, it's either Josiah or Jehu. I can't remember which one it is. You, you may Josiah. be right. But um, but they're don't, remodeling the temple, and because it's it's fallen into disrepair because basically it's been used as pagan worship place, and they find a copy of the law. Now what they probably find. We don't know if it's the entire five books of Moses, but it's probably at least the book of Leviticus is what we're talking about there when it says mm-hmm. he finds the law. And he reads it, and he realizes, oh, my goodness, we've we've fallen short in this. And the immediate thing he does, you know, of course, he tears his clothes and he's he's in repentance. But but they offer the sacrifices, right? They, they, they go back to this idea. And so it's that kind of a story, I think. Or later on, you know, when the prophets come to the people and they Mm -hmm. say to them, you know, you have all turned your backs on God. You've, you know, you've done these things. I think this is the kind of situation that he's imagining when the, when the community or (laughs) I'm going to say it this way. It may be a bit too strong to say this, but when the society as a whole has turned aside, Mm -hmm. then these are, these are the requirements. So the leaders are the ones who stand in for the people and, and, and ask for this. Like the book of judges. (laughs) I mean, isn't that kind of a whole over and over again? Yeah. 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 So yeah, this kind of idea of turning away or uh, you know forgetting God, return you know 
failing to return to him, that kind of thing. So members are mentioned as well. And just when I say this, I mean members of the community. So, so again, mm-hmm. your status depends upon the kind of sacrifice that's offered. So I want you to read uh, two verses here. Um, and when we think about this, Ryan, it's chapter 5. One of them is verse 7 and the other is verse 11. Okay. 7. Anyone who can't afford a lamb is to bring two doves or two pigeons to the Lord as a penalty for their sin, one for a sin offering and the other for a burnt offering. If, however, they cannot afford two doves or two young pigeons, they are to bring an offering for their sin, a tenth tenth of an ephah of of the finest flour for a sin offering. They must not put olive oil or incense on it because it is a sin offering. It's a sin offering. It's not a grain offering. Mm-hmm. That's the distinction there, interestingly enough. But but here's what I think is really fascinating about this. And I think, again, it shows us something about God. Because this is a mandatory offering, and he's saying, if you've, if you've turned aside from me, you've got to do this. Uh, it, it, it depends on what you can afford, right? Mm-hmm. If you can afford a goat, if you're a member of the community, you're supposed to offer that, sheep, sheep or goat. You can't afford that, then then two small birds, either a dove or a pigeon. Again, we've talked before about this is what is sacrificed when Jesus, um, you know, when is taken does the temple. Jesus, yeah. Right. And so, so two birds, one, it says it's a burnt offering. In other words, it is, it is completely consumed while the other one would be portions of it would be consumed. Uh, but then even it says, if you can't even afford birds, right, two, two pigeons or two doves, then a 10th of an ephah of flour, and basically, that would be enough uh, for your daily bread. That's, that's the way I'm going to say it. Like, that'd be enough for a loaf of bread for you for a day. And, and I always say that's about as poor as you can get because if you if you don't have enough to eat every day, you're not going to be with us very long, right? Mm-hmm. You're, you're, you're going you're gonna to die. Uh, and so even the very poorest in the land, the idea is they – because this is a, a mandatory – sacrifice, God makes provision for even the very poorest people in the land to do this. And, and I find that, what, what does that make you, what does that tell you about God? Or what does that make you think about in, in Anyone can God? come to him. I mean, like it's, right. Um, you know, he's, it's not backbreak. You like, he wants you to bring a, like, but it's not meant to make you destitute, you know, right. your offering to him. Like he cares, he cares about your position. Right. Like there is, there's something that is owed him, but he cares about your position yeah. as, as well. In that. And, and he provides, a, yeah, he provides a way for, for you yeah. to, for you to come. I think that's, that's it. So here's something I think we need to talk about with this, uh, because it's going to help, again, set us up for what these sacrifices, I think, teach us as Christians and why I think it's still important for us to read the book of Leviticus. You know, that's the other thing we're trying to trying to think about. I've got two verses here, one from chapter 4, verses 20 through 21, and the other is chapter 5, verse 13. They're very similar. But I would say here's the result. And it's kind of, it's again, it's one of these repetitions. You're going to see it over and over again throughout this passage. But read those two for me, if you would. Uh, yeah, this ahead. is uh, 420 through 21. And do with this bull just as he did with the bull of this, uh, for the sin offering. In this way, the priest will make atonement for the community and they will be forgiven. Then he shall take the bull outside the camp and burn it as he burned the first bull. This is the sin offering for the community. Okay, so go, go ahead and read chapter 5, verse 13, too. 
Yeah, 513. Here we go. In this way, the priest will make atonement for them for any of these sins they have committed, and they will be forgiven. The rest of the offering will be given to the priest, as in the case of the grain offering. Okay, so what... And here again, you know, not the entire animal. It's certain portion goes to the priest and, and his family in order to, to to support the work of the of the temple, basically. Uh, so it, it, there's two two really important words here. I think um, the first is it says, and and this will make atonement. Mm-hmm. Okay, and we've talked about atonement before. We got a whole episode on atonement. We've talked about before. That word is used in the New Testament. Uh, and here's the here's the birth of that concept, if you will, in in the Old Testament. Um, this idea that it is going to renew relationship between God and His people uh, is the idea. And the second is this, and I know the Book of Hebrews. We'll get to that eventually, right? The second is this. It says, "What does it say about the the people?" Then it says they'll they'll be they'll for- be forgiven. They'll be forgiven. Mm-hmm. So this is. This is the sin offering. The reason for it was to provide a way for the forgiveness of sins. Now, I understand it does not effectively <laughs> right, mm-hmm. deal with sin forever. And the Hebrew writer says it pushed back sin year after year, right? It, mm-hmm. it, it, it didn't effectively deal with sin. And, and, and I think there's even a reason for that um, because we've talked before about sin separates us from God, right? And and. and so God is the source of life when we are he, – he's the one who made everything, right? So he's the source of all things. When we are separated from the source of life, then the result of that is death. That, right. That's what we have caused by turning our back on God, like like the sin, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so it, atonement is the only way for that relationship to be renewed, right? That we broke, the relationship that we broke by our sin. The only way for it to be renewed is for someone, in this case, something, right, an animal, to to stand in as a substitute for for my sin. And and the, the point I want to make here is, that ultimately the death of an animal is not equivalent to the death of a human being, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I think that's an important concept. I know that there are some animal lovers who might be listening to this that might disagree with that, but I think that's an important concept. We've talked before about that only humans are created in the image of God, and that puts us in a special position, not a position to to abuse or you know just like any other other thing, but it does make us different. We're not simply creatures. We're not simply cre- you know we are creation, but we are we are created in the image of God, uh, and, and therefore it is only another human being who can ultimately stand in our place. Uh, we'll we'll say more about that a little bit later. But that idea of atonement is in this sacrificial system. Mm-hmm. And, and it's that language that's used in the New Testament, as we're going to see, uh, in order to talk about what it is that Jesus has done on our behalf. So, you know, this there's something going on here that is that is teaching us. You know, Paul calls it a, the person who le- led us, the law led us uh, to, to, to basically learn <laughs> about what it, what it means. What were we going to say? Well, you know, I think oftentimes when we think about this, or I've had conversations with people, it's just like, oh, I can't, I couldn't keep track of this. You know what right. I mean? Like the, how the blood works or that, like it was, 
uh, or how you know maybe the, the 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 Israelites thought of it at this point, but like I think this is in some way like this is atonement yes. and this is forgiveness. Like this is a while it might feel very gruesome, it's is it liberating to them? Like yeah. that there is a means for them knowing that they're going to be, you know, that we have the rest of the law, you know, and what's going on in there. And we have the Decalogue and the other pieces of the law to follow. But like God has made a way yes. for them to remain in relationship with him in spite of their sin. Like it is exactly we, you know, I oftentimes, you know, I think there's the, the perspective as we look back from the New Testament, like, oh, these people are just like, they hate, they hate the law. You know what I mean? Like it's right. almost it, like, it's just this drudgery system, Yeah. but it is the system by which that they can maintain relationship with God. So it's not, you know, I think sometimes we get this idea in our minds as New Testament people as sure. Gentiles living, <laughs> you know, 2000 years separated right. from some of this, that this was, um, the system was overly op oppressive to them, but yeah. it was, it was a liberating system for them. That, that's the thing. And that's, I like what you said that, that God made a way that he provided a way in this, in this system for them to come to him. And, I, and I'll say a couple of things about this toward the end, as we get into talking about some of the new Testament implications of this, but I, I think that's, I think that's absolutely right. And here's where I get into trouble sometimes. Uh Oh, because trouble time. So, so there are times where, where, and this this has changed my understanding. I will say over time, there are times when we we make it law versus grace, right? Mm -hmm. um, law versus grace, and there are there are New Testament passages that talk about that. You know, um, you know, Moses brought the law, grace and peace came through Christ Jesus. I, I mean, I know those passages. It's not like I'm ignoring those, right? What? But but here's what I'm going to say: is that the law was a kind of grace. <laughs> mm -hmm. You know, and, and what I mean is that is is that God acted. Grace is always God acting on our behalf, right? God mm -hmm. acted in a way uh, providing this in order for people to be able to continue to draw near to him. And that's even seen in the in the idea of the word itself. Uh the word for sacrifice itself carries with it this idea of bringing near, right? That we're we're being brought together. And, and so so I think there is a grace in this. Now, is it the same? Is it the same as the grace we have in Jesus Christ? No. I mean, I, I've read Paul. Right? Mm -hmm. I've read the Book of Galatians. I understand this. I understand it. Right. Uh, and 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 I think that's. I think it's, it's almost like we have to understand that first before we can make sense of things like Paul going. You know, but look at what we have now in Christ, right? Look at this, mm -hmm. this you know, the, the the depths of his grace and his mercy that is available to us in Christ Jesus. Uh, you know, I think, you know, you, you almost need to understand that this system was what they had in order to draw near to God. And that's what it meant to them in order for then when they begin to understand that Christ is the ultimate sacrifice, that they, they you know, that Paul has this, this incredible revelation, right, that that who could have imagined this kind of this kind of um, uh, freedom in Christ now, and, and so anyway, that that's again part of what I think we understand as we as we read through Leviticus. Yeah, that it 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 is to reveal sin. You know, yeah, you know, Paul absolutely. talks about like I didn't know. It, you know, like that that is part of the law, but it is right. also a, a means of grace yeah. to the people in that time. 
yeah. to to draw near to him. I'll, I'll just say this: if 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 out of the blue, <laughs> without the sacrificial system, God would have said, "Here is my Son who is who is offering Himself," or Jesus had said, "I have come to offer myself on behalf of sin," you know, sacrifice for sin, we'd all been like, oh, "What does that mean?" You know, it's mm-hmm. the system that teaches us that. Here's the let's talk about the final sacrifice, then we'll get on to some New Testament stuff. Um, this is chapter five, verse 14, then down through chapter six, verse seven in the book of Leviticus. And this talks about the trespass offering, it's often called. Uh, and the way I would kind of summarize this is this has to do with the effect that we have that our sin has upon other people. Um, our sin often or always has a a splash over effect upon our community, upon the people around us, our families, our friends, our neighbors. Uh, And and I think the trespass offering is pointing to that. It's where we've stepped outside the bounds is the idea of a trespass, right? So, and I don't want to draw this too hard and fast, but the sin offering I think is primarily thinking about the way that we have broken relationship with God. I think the trespass offering has to do also with the way that our sin has affected the community around us. Um, so the easiest example I can think of in this is actually the last one. This is Leviticus chapter 6, verses 1 through 7, and this one helps me kind of visualize or imagine what what I think is is at stake here. So do you want to read that, that last yeah, six, sacrifice? Yeah, 6, 1 through 7. The Lord said to Moses, If anyone sins and is unfaithful to the Lord by deceiving a neighbor about something entrusted to them or left in their care, or about something stolen, or if they cheat their neighbor, or if they find lost property and lie about it, or if they swear <laughs> falsely about any such sin that people may commit, when they sin in any of these ways and realize their guilt, they must return what they have stolen or taken by extortion or what was entrusted to them or the lost property they found or whatever it was they swore falsely about. They must make restitution. Oh, sorry. That's okay. Oh, gosh. Did you lose it? They must make restitution in full and add a fifth of the value to it and give it all to the owner on the day they present their guilt offering. And as a penalty, they must bring to the priest, that is, to the Lord, their guilt offering, a ram from the flock, one without defect, and of the proper value. In this way, the priest will make atonement for them before the Lord, and they will be forgiven for any of the things they did that made them guilty. So the trespass offering includes this similar thing to the sin offering, where where I have to offer sacrifice in order to make myself right with God, right? Because my Mm. sin has broken that relationship. But it also includes restitution, right, for the way that I've wronged my neighbor. Mm-hmm. And there's going to be lots of examples of this as we get through the book of Leviticus. There's lots of ways to wrong your neighbor, right? Right. Um, these are kind of summary ways, right? Well, if you've if you've taken something directly from them, or if they gave you something and you never gave it back, or you know things like um, if you've sworn falsely about something. In other words, through a court of law, you've taken something that's not yours. You know, the, there's different ways that you could have harmed them. Right. Uh, you know, later on, I'll give you just an example. One of the big ones is uh, if if you borrow your neighbor's ox and it falls into a ditch. <laughs> Classic. Know, Classic example. <laughs> like, like, like one does, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so take a, take an ox mudden and it's, you know, and it, it talks about it. Basically, if you borrow something from somebody, you need to take care of it. You don't, you know, you don't treat it like a, like a, you know, like it's like not you important. It in. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> treat it like it's your own. Yeah. So, so the, the point with this is then 
so there's a sacrifice still that that renews relationship with God, but then there's also a penalty, right? There's a restitution. Mm -hmm. So you have to return to that person what you have taken from them or withheld from them or, you know, in other ways, defrauded them of it and and an additional 20%, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, So, so you know, like 120% is what you then owe them uh, for this. So again, this this goes back to what I was saying earlier about God is also concerned, I think, with our relationship with one another. Uh, it was about making things right between the sinner and God, but also healing the relationship uh, between you and wh- whoever you have wronged. Uh, so I think that's the other thing. So, so I just kind of, just before we get on to some other things, what do you think we've, we've learned or what, what, what do you think we see in these, in these sacrifices? Uh, well, I mean, I think God is maintaining relationship to each other and maintaining relationship to him. Right. And like that he is, that there are, he has made ways for those things to, um, to do that. And, you know, I, I think even like with this trespassing one, it's not only are you making restitution to, to the person you have wronged, you're also making your atonement to God. You know what I mean? God, like, the, right. you know, you're making a sacrifice to God as well, that, that there is multiple relationships that need yeah. to be cared for in the community, that it's right. not, you are not your own, you know, that, sure. that you're, you're part of this and that how you live in this context is, is important. Yeah. And that God's, you know, the God is, He's he's made a way no matter where you where you are. He wants right. you to be in right relationship. With right. Him. Absolutely. Yeah. I think I think you know that's a good that's a good uh, example illustration of this. And yeah. So that's that's what we have. There's so that's pretty much the the sacrificial system. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mentioned this earlier. The word sacrifice. Then it's interesting. Then when you start looking at that word in the New Testament, uh, words like atonement and words like sacrifice or offering. Uh, in the New Testament, a couple of examples where Jesus uses it. Uh, one um, is, is uh, in, in a couple of times in the Book of Matthew, and I always say this is really important. Where Jesus, it's, he's always talking to the Pharisees when he says this, but a couple of times he says he quotes the Old Testament where God says, "I desire mercy, not sacrifice." Mm-hmm. And basically, it's where the Pharisees have been more concerned about. Um, keeping the law perfectly, in other words, for themselves, which becomes almost kind of a a selfishness, right? Mm -hmm. Instead of thinking about, you know, what I'm suggesting we need to think about, which is what is God showing us that is important to him? So, for example, one time Jesus heals on the Sabbath day, and they criticize him for that. And he says, you need to go and learn what this means. And he quotes uh, Mike, I believe it is, I desire mercy not sacrifice. I said last week that I think the 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 actions of sacrifice were meant to teach a lesson to the worshiper that they would have it would have had an impact on them, right? A very visceral, <laughs> you know, very a very um, uh, full full formed uh, picture of the effect of their sin. And and I don't think God was just doing that to gross people out or, or or you know the other thing is some people have have I've heard people talk about this well the book of Leviticus you can just go sin and then you go kill an animal you know and and I don't think that was God's thought you know I think God was more trying to teach his people 
your sin has consequence, and the, the consequence of sin is death, right? The wages of sin is death is the way that we would say it. And so he was really looking for a change in people. And that's why by the time you get to the prophets, they're saying things like, you know, God is tired of your feasts, right? He's tired of your offerings uh, mm-hmm. because it's not it's not having the effect on you that it should. Um, you're, you're just, you know, finding ways to, to continue to do this rather than to change your heart. And I think that's the same thing that he's saying to the Pharisees here. I desire mercy. In other words, you should be thinking about other people <laughs> rather than, uh, you, you know, I want you to, I, I want to see you take on the God saying, I want you to take on my character and act mercifully in the same way that I've acted mercifully toward you rather than thinking about myself and keeping the perfect letter of the law. Mm-hmm. Mark 12 is interesting because it's not really Jesus. Uh, well, it's not Jesus at all. It's a guy who came to Jesus. And basically the guy's saying, hey, what's the most important commandments? You might remember that story. Mm-hmm. Look at Mark 12, 32 through 34. Just read that. That's kind of the end of this, this whole narrative. Yeah. Well said, teacher, the man replied, you are right in saying that God is one and there is no other but him. To love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And from then on, no one dared ask him any more questions. So this is what we call the great day of questions, the very end of it. But but here's this this man, and I talk about, here's the greatest commandments, just like Jesus said elsewhere. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbors yourself. And the answer comes back, yeah, that's more important. You see what I'm saying? The change in, in, in my attitude and my my feelings toward those around me are more important than than the burnt offerings, all the burnt offerings in the world. Um, so again, I, the, you know, it's it's not the cart before the horse, right? The the sacrificial system was also designed by God to to change us. Um, but by the time you get to Jeremiah, <laughs> you know, Jeremiah says we've got hearts of stone, mm-hmm. and, and the only thing that's going to only thing that's going to change us is heart surgery, right? They're going to have to cut out our heart of stone and give us a heart of flesh. Um, and, and so that's the, the sacrifice then, the offering that we see throughout uh, this. Paul says it, of course, the Hebrew writer says it a lot, and I'll say more about that in just a minute, talks about the fact that Jesus then becomes our ultimate sacrifice. Uh, one of the places I thought it'd be interesting to look at because of this, and then the next thing I want to talk about is in Romans chapter 3. 21 through 26, a very famous passage. Um, You want to read that for us? Yeah. Romans 3. Chapter 3, yeah. Yeah. We'll talk about this and I'll ask my question. Uh, 21 through 26. But now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement. Okay, see that phrase? Mm -hmm. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement. So Mm -hmm. thinking about what we've been talking about today, 
you know, we yeah. get, we get trespass that, that. offering, exactly. sin offering, Ex- you know, exactly. He, he is the one who provides for us ultimate forgiveness of sins. He is the sacrifice of atonement. But do you notice that Paul uses this language, this Old Testament language, right? This, this mm-hmm. Leviticus language, for lack of a better term. Go ahead. I interrupted you. Go ahead and finish. No, this I was just thinking back, you know, when we talk about like that, he doesn't, uh, it's better than all of the sacrifices. Sure. Like it, it wasn't just about the sacrifices themselves. It was about the heart of the worshiper yep. in the sacrifices. Well, like yeah. the sacrifice did have purpose and meaning, but it was, was it as, would you say like it was as equally important for like the, the way in which the worshiper came exactly to the sacrifice as well. I think that's exactly right. And I've often said <laughs> it's the same with us today, right? Uh, we have different ways of worshiping. Uh, you know, there's there's several questions that come up from time to time. You and I come from a tradition where every Sunday we took the Lord's Supper, and mm-hmm. regularly that would be criticized by saying, "Well, that's that's too often. It becomes it becomes too, empty, too rote, empty of meaning." Mm-hmm. I don't think it has to do with the frequency. I think it has to do with the way we approach it. Okay, if we if we approach the Lord's Supper. Uh, and, and again, by the way, we'll, we'll get to this in a minute. By the way, the Lord's Supper is, is is representing to us and reminding us of Christ's sacrifice, right? If if that becomes to us routine, then and, and we don't pay attention to it, then I think, yeah, that, that's that's a worshiper problem, right? I think it's the same with prayer. Um, some traditions will participate in saying the Lord's Prayer together, which. Uh, I'll we'll maybe talk about that another day. I don't, I don't really want to handle that right now. But uh-huh. but there are people who say, oh, it's just so empty. It's just re- repetition of empty words, that kind of thing. Well, I think it depends on, on if you're focused on what you're saying. I think we can, you know, if our prayer is, you know, rub-a-dub-dub, thanks for the grub or whatever, you know, are we offering these as as real, you know, authentic acts of worship toward God, or have they become vacuous? You know, have they become right. empty? Uh, and so, so I think that's, that's really, I think our worship, our songs, you mm-hmm. know, yes. you know, we, we, we need to be engaged in, in thinking about what we are singing to the creator of the universe. Right. Right. And so I think that's the whole point, whether it's an Old Testament sacrifice or whether it's prayer or the Lord's Supper or or worship, yeah. uh, singing, what I mean, singing in worship, uh, all of those, I think, any of those are, they're good things. There's nothing wrong with the thing itself, right? It's, it's God, the, it's God given. Mm-hmm. What were you going to say? Well, it's just, you know, on the scarcity side of like communion, the novelty <laughs> If you don't do it very often, the novelty is not what gives it meaning. Right. You know, it's right. just like, well, it, it, we don't have it very often, so it makes it more meaningful. Well, no, that— it, Not necessarily. Well, right. yeah, if, I mean, if I, you don't understand what you're doing, yeah. Yeah, as yeah. I was working on our website, I kept hearing the Atonement episode—or not the Atonement, but the Advent episodes. Oh. And I heard the story of myself talking about, like, you know, Christmas Eve. I was in the yeah. service, and I didn't feel anything. Well, it comes once a year. Like, yeah. it wasn't about that the evening was removed from meaning. Right. It was that I was not prepared myself to come— to that time. Yeah. Like in that, so it's not, it's not the scarcity. It's not the, 
it's not the repetition. It's how we prepare yeah. ourselves and our hearts in that. If you, I mean, all you have to do is turn it around. And if you say it about anything else, well, we do this too frequently, right? So it, it, it rip, rips it out of meaning. If you talk about anything else, well, so I'm only going to pray once a quarter because if I, if I pray to God too often, I'm only going to read my Bible once a quarter because if I do it too often, it's just going to become meaningless or, you know, I'm only going to, I mean, fill in the blank, right? I, I've often used the example. I'm only going to tell my wife I love her once a quarter because if I do that more often, it's just going to become. She's, the, she's not going to cherish it when I actually do say it. <laughs> so, uh, uh, you know, you get what I'm saying is it's, yeah. it's ridiculous to think that, that it is, it is the the yeah the frequency with which we do something that that either makes it meaningful or not that just uh, well don't even, anyway. don't even start it I guess it's too late you me well but I you know I think this kind of goes back to our very first episode of this season about like the secular yeah. age the age that we yeah. live in it's about the you know in this imminent frame where we're in our yeah. own minds it's about my experience of it at this time is what gives it meaning like there's and we have to we have to find a way to go like this has transcendent meaning like yes. i am communing with the crucified lord and my my brothers <sighs> and sisters in the big way to my left and right and across the world so like we yeah. have to find a way because i think that's what when we find ourselves in this place of this flatness and these things of like the repetition is yeah well it's cuz it's all about us we've lost this sense of we're, you know, you thought about yeah. the songs we're singing. Are we singing to a creator, God, or am I singing words right. that someone has just put on a screen in front of me? Yeah, I, I'm not going to be able to remember them, and it's going to drive at least one of our listeners crazy that I can't remember who these quotes are attributed to. But one, one of the early church fathers called uh, the Lord's Supper our food. Right, it, it is it is what sustains us. Uh, another called it holy medicine. Right, it, it is it is spiritual medicine for us. Um, and, and, you know, again, we've gone so far from wanting to see the elements themselves as having some kind of magic, uh, mystical power uh, that I think we've sometimes made it devoid of, of any meaning. Um, so we're actually going to talk about this a little bit more, but we'll, we'll go back and let's read Romans 3. Go ahead and start again, because I, I interrupt you in the middle, because I want you to notice two different things that are here. One of them is that idea of sacrifice of atonement, but the other one's a little bit later. So go ahead and, and, and just read that passage over. Uh, okay, this is Romans 3, 21 through 26. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness, because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time, so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. So there's a lot. I mean, this is a rich passage, and it's one that's, you know, there's lots of— There's lots of ink spilled on this one. <laughs> I was going to say lots of debate about this passage as well. I don't want to really get in too, too, too much about justification and so forth, but— We have a whole I, episode about that. We do. Go back and listen to that. And, and I've mentioned before that all is probably the key word here. I, I think we focus too much— 
sometimes upon the other. You know, it's it's basically saying both Jew, Jew and Gentile all are you know just all are sin sinners mm-hmm. and all are justified freely. But but what I want you to notice is it, it's it's the sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of His blood. And, and here's what I want you to notice: another thing as we look through this this um, Leviticus one one through uh, chapters one through seven. What you notice is that the blood is handled by the priests, and, and I, you know one of the things I talked about in last episode, the burnt offering, is we don't often understand how much of the action of sacrifice that the worshiper himself was responsible for. But it's also very interesting to me that the priests are the ones that are given the responsibility for handling the blood. Uh, there's this passage that we're going to see that talks about that that you know forgiveness of sins is found in the shedding of blood it's it, it's that and i think it's that idea that blood is is a sign of a representative of life right so 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 the life's blood of this animal is drained away and is offered um, you know it's supposed to be put down on splashed on the altar even the birds you know, it's it, it. This pigeon is supposed to be done by the priest because it's such a small amount of blood. They rip it impo- open. It's important that that blood has to get onto the altar, uh, because that that idea of blood. You know, you you think about <laughs> one thing that makes me think about is uh, Cain and Abel, right? This idea of shedding of blood. This idea of uh, of of what we've done and turning turning ourselves apart from the the giver of life. Uh, it's brought death and, and blood. You know, shedding of blood is a, is a symbol of that. And my point is this: the priests are the ones who are responsible for handling that. And this idea of blood becomes a very important part of our Christian tradition as well. Mm-hmm. So I think again, when you look at the Book of Leviticus and you see how carefully and how very specifically God delineates what's supposed to happen with the blood, I think it points to the sacrifice of Jesus as well. I know that that some people don't like that image. I mean, I get it. I mean, there are people who, who, who really um, don't like to talk about this, but it's a biblical New Testament concept we can't get away from. Uh, I mean, you get Jesus saying things like, um, you know, when he institutes the Lord's Supper, for example, this is my blood. This is the new covenant, my blood, which is shed for you. Right, mm-hmm. uh, and whenever you drink it, you are to remember me. Uh, we find, you know, there's this passage I've, I've just mentioned here. Uh, you find this idea of uh, the blood of the covenant. Of course, throughout the book of Hebrews, I think uh, I'm trying to remember a little bit over twenty percent, about a fifth of all the references to blood in the new in the New Testament are in the book of Hebrews. Um, you know, the Hebrew writer, it's a very big deal that Jesus' blood was shed on our behalf. A uh, couple of others I want to look at. Look at Romans chapter 5, just a couple chapters over, verses 6 through 11. You're going to find Jesus' blood mentioned there as well. Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 11? Yes. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we ha- now have received reconciliation. So this idea of we're justified 
through his blood, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, his death, this idea that the shedding shedding of his blood. Um, you mentioned the Lord's Supper. I t- we talked a little bit about the Lord's Supper earlier. First Corinthians chapter ten, verse sixteen, I think, is a very interesting when we're thinking about, especially what you brought up about the secular age and kind of our mm-hmm. um, demystifying of the universe. But look, look at First Corinthians ten sixteen. Is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? And is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ? So in some ways in this act, we are participating <laughs> right in him. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people want to point, and we've talked about John 6 before and how I don't see that exactly as talking about the Lord's Supper. But you know, in John 6, Jesus says, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you. And, and so you can kind of see where people took this, you know, the importance of the blood of Jesus and, and what that what that means for us. One more passage. This is my favorite one on the blood of Jesus. This is this is in First Peter. I, I really love the book of First Peter. Uh, but First Peter chapter one, verse two, he he identifies Christians as those who have been sprinkled with the mm-hmm. blood of Christ. Right, mm-hmm. uh, and, and probably an image that goes all the way back, actually, to the book of Exodus, where you have the covenant ceremony, where the the bulls are sacrificed, and then their blood is half of it's put on the altar, and then half of it is spread on the people, right, uh, in, in order to say that they're covered, right, uh, under this blood, and and there's the same thing there, and then verses eighteen through nineteen, then, uh, mm-hmm. you want to read passage. that for us real quick? Sure. For for uh, this is First Peter. Uh, 1, 18 through 19. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. We are we're we're then redeemed by the blood of Christ. And and it's interesting. Peter says it's it's more valuable to us than silver or gold, right? It, it it's it's not something empty, but it is something that is that is full. And so this language, you know, that and of course we see it even in our hymns, right? I was thinking there's power in the blood, you know, the, the, power, some of those old wonder working power in the blood. <laughs> but even things like corner, you know, songs like Cornerstone and 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 others, you know, make reference to the the importance of the blood of Jesus in, in our faith. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, you know, obviously, again, I understand standing for his death, but this idea that his blood was shed uh, on our behalf, and uh, you know, that that's that's what I think. Again, Leviticus. Without this system and without the way we see the blood being treated and handled here, the importance of it um, may, you know, the language of the New Testament reflects, I think, what we see in the book of Leviticus, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Well, it's great. It's good to make those connections, you know, that help us see that Leviticus is not just a barren <laughs> black hole of, of things, but like that there's, that there's there's important things and there are important connections for us to understand right. what's happening in the New Testament, what's happening with Jesus. Yeah. Uh, I was teaching third and fourth graders just a couple weeks ago, and we were talking about something uh, from the Old Testament and the New Testament. Oh, we were, we were talking about the... Um, the memory verse was Lamb of God. And I said, well, what does it mean? <laughs> right. What does Lamb of God mean? Right. Why is this important? And so we had to go back and talk about the Exodus story. And I'm like, yeah. this is why all of your Bible is important. You know, we can't yeah. just, just, you know, it's one of those things that we can say the words Lamb of God, but until we understand what really is happening, yes. that verse doesn't mean anything to us. And so yeah, talking about how exactly the, right. the Bible is, it's a great book that connects us beginning to end to see, so we understand who Jesus was. And just as you said, if Jesus had just shown up and said, hey, I'm (laughs) taking care of your sins and all that stuff, without the Old Testament, they would have been like, cool, man. You know, they would, you know, like, 
go for it. Um, right. You know, they wouldn't have known what was going on. So this is great, Brian. I'm excited. Okay, good. Yeah. So what what do we do after this with Leviticus? Where do we uh, go from there? We, we keep going through the book of Leviticus. <laughs> <laughs> more, more Leviticus. More, more of the same. We're done with the sacrificial system. We'll talk some more about some of these other laws that sometimes seem a little arcane to us. Mm-hmm. But what do they, again, the, the point is, what do they teach us about what God uh, values what he considers mm-hmm. to be important and uh, what he wants us to 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 be, how he wants us to transform. So, absolutely. Well, Brian, thanks so much. Yeah, uh, and and thank you all to our listeners. Uh, if you'd yeah. like, you can go to our website, thebiblebistro.com. This episode will be up brand there. Brand new, what? brand new looking website. Oh, it's the same woo. same address, but you have we got these little buttons that say "Watch Now." You know, <laughs> completely listen. revamped. There's a whole uh, section of books there that yeah. you'll find. So, so well, uh, Brian has sent me a couple things because I've been trying to catch up on some Leviticus stuff that we'll have some. If you click on one of the episodes from Leviticus, you can go to the links section yep. on each one of those pages and you can see a couple books we might recommend. So yep. um, you can check those out there. If you're interested in Leviticus, you know, if you're, if you like, if you like this kind of blood talk and all that stuff, you know, you can go <laughs> wow. get your book. I'm just, yeah, yeah, whatever. So you can go there in Leviticus, but uh, we also have some other resources on there for you as well. So Brian, yeah. thanks so much. I appreciate Thank it. You. And uh, thanks again to all our listeners and we will chat with you all next Tuesday. All right. Bye. Bye-bye.